I'm Dr. Shiva Kanangat, the chair for the ASHI Educational Workshop, uh, and I welcome you to the ASHI Educational Workshop uh, 2023. And when you attend the in-person ASHI Educational Workshop in the vibrant downtown of Denver, Colorado, you will be receiving 13 contact hours or 1.95 CECs, plus a complimentary VIP night of bowling with your peers, complete with dessert bar and a drink on our sheet. Save your seat for the keynote titled The Inseparable Role of HLA in Oncology, Infectious Disease, Autoimmunity and Transplantation by Ashi past president, Dr. William Hiddlebrand. Visit 2023.ashi-hla.org for more information. The views and opinions expressed on coffee and compatibility are those of the podcast host and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Ashi. Hey there, Ashi friends and family, and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Compatibility. I'm Jeremy Sherrill, and with me are Drs. Eric Weimer and Kelly Hitchman. Today, we're meeting with Mr. John Sadowski, who grew up in Pittsburgh and has been working at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center since 2017. John became the lead technologist for Next Generation Sequencing in June of 2019 and did some beta testing of the Oxford Nanopore system for HLA sequencing throughout 2022. He's here today to talk to us about nanopore sequencing. Mr. Sadowski, welcome to the show. Can we call you John? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on and being with us. So, John, we'd, we'd love to start out uh, for our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with nanopore sequencing uh, just as a, a basic method. Could you walk us through how this method works? Uh, sure, I'll do like a basic overview, I guess. Um, right now, the big difference between what we do currently and everything now is, uh, I guess I talked about this at Oshi a little bit, but to go through the basics of what is the typical uh, sequencing method right now using the MySeq is a short read sequencing where we amplify DNA and fragment. And the big difference between that and nanopore sequencing is that there's not really any fragmentation after the amplification. It's a long read uh, sequencing technique. So with that, you amplify your DNA, you barcode it and tag it, and um, then running the sequence through a flow cell with uh, nanopores in it. It uh, denatures the DNA and pulls it through, and then it measures a interruption of the uh, of a voltage current, ionic current moving through the uh, protein channel. And based on that interruption, it measures the uh, based on that measurement and inter interrupting the ion ionic current. It uh, makes the base call based on that interruption. So uh, that's a very generic version, but. Um, that's the basic idea. I don't know if you wanted a little bit more of that, but yeah. So it's it's measuring voltage changes that are unique based on which nucleotide base is coming through the the ion channel at each given moment. Correct. Yeah, and that was the thing that was different for me. Like I didn't understand when I first was doing it that it was uh it's based on interruption and not. I was like wondering what is the voltage difference that each base causes, but it's more of the interrupting of the current through the the channel. So that was just a little thing I learned towards the end of when I was researching for uh, Ashi last year. 
Yeah, you gave a great talk during the Technologist Forum at, at Ashi last year. I know that was uh, uh, really helpful, I think, for a lot of people who attended. Um, so, John, what what do you think are the major advantages and or disadvantages compared to other sequencing methods that are commonly in use right now? Um, I mean, that was the thing that was surprising to me about it is that to talk about some of the there's not many disadvantages, but I would say the, to talk about them first, because there's a lot of factors that can counter them very quickly. So there was like uh, one person I was talking to said there is a little bit of a lower accuracy compared to the MySeq in typical sequencing platforms right now. But then the one thing I kind of thought of, and this wasn't really based on like hardcore research, but even just looking at the data that I got out of it, it's, being long read, you have a depth of coverage there that makes up for that accuracy loss. So you have these things where like you have a lot of cis-trans ambiguities in your short read uh, methods that are mitigated by that. So even if you're getting not the highest uh, Q30 scores and wherever they're at, I forget where they're at exactly, but I know Q30 is what we do with the, the MySeq. It's, um, it's kind of mitigated by that. And I think the big thing you see in a lot of labs with it, as far as like even cons to things, is just an adoption of new technology. Because I know even when I first saw the instrument, I was like, this thing's the size of like a USB drive. How are we going to actually sequence anything? And then, like I said, pleasantly surprised. I mean, and then you once you see the data, that's where the benefits start coming in. You have a low cost of entry, low... Um, footprint so if you're like if you're in a smaller lab this thing works well in a space especially i know there were a few people at ashi talking about just getting started into sequencing so this gives you that opportunity and then uh the biggest issue you see from like a lab standpoint um with next generation sequencing is just the the batching because even when you're like thinking of like throughput and everything like that but on the nanopore it's kind of if you have five samples, you use five samples and the flow cell being reusable is a nice thing too. So there's a lot of pros to it where especially it's like, like from, for our lab, I would see it being a um, great supplementary thing, but I think it's an awesome thing if you're trying to get started and maybe don't have the, the resources for some of the bigger instrumentation. So those are just a few off the top of my head. John, you're like you're like sort of my hero because I have a secret man crush on nanopore sequencing in general. Um, so I appreciate the uh, enthusiasm for uh, some new sequencing technology. I'm curious. So uh, for the listeners, believe it or not, I actually held a pipette once uh, and actually did load a nanopore flow cell, and I'm I found it incredibly difficult. So I'm curious from someone who's uh, an expert like you, John, how did you feel the process of making the libraries and loading the flow cell uh, for Nanopore? How'd that, how did, what was your experience? It felt pretty comparable to like, once you've, there's things you have to be cognizant of as you're doing any library prep, because there's just things of like combining, um, all your samples into one one library there's also just a moment where like i've always said it's just crazy where you get into a moment where uh at the end of your sequencing you have a 15 microliter library of 25 patients or something 
So the only place I would say where there is a little bit of everything is just if you're not careful with your pipetting is like the blowing out the flow cell. If you introduce bubbles, then you just destroy. I mean, we luckily, like I said, we never had that issue either. So it's been good. Um, but it's one of those things where I think as you would bring it into a lab, it's going to happen. And then you're just like, well, whoops. <laughs> so, but I had no issues with it. And I liked it that you're scared at first with everything new. You're like, am I going to screw this up? And then really quickly after two or three runs, felt pretty good about it. So John, I'm super interested in this technology too. And I'll admit my lab is, is a lab that has never even played with this technology as much as I'd love to. I think part of that is like, you know, you get really, really, really busy and you're used to doing what you're doing. So you just like, you just keep doing that. Right. But I'm very interested for somebody who has used this, loved it, found success with it. You hear all the pros associated with it. It's cheaper. Um, all the equipment and the supporting pieces are less expensive. It's faster in a lot of ways. The accuracy is coming along beautifully. You've got these long reads. Where's the broad application? Why isn't everybody transitioning to nanopore sequencing right now? I, mean, I think it might be what you just said. It's even for us, it's kind of taken a little bit of a back burner because we moved to an, a new kit recently on the MySeq. And it's just a matter of even with that uh, relatively inexpensive upfront cost, it's still a change in the lab and everybody's comfortable with it. But there even is, for me, it's like the best place I would say is like I said, uh, as a startup, whenever you're first starting, it's a great place to come in on with accessibility. And I think that's where you might see the, the shift really start to happen. And then even for us, like even as I have, we have the established bench, I would say, where I could see it having an application here is once we looked into it and needed it and as regulations where a sequencing based technology is necessary for everything, it would be a great supplementary thing, especially for the, especially for the one-off samples using the Flongle platform. So I think, I think it basically, you summed it up. It's just right now it's tough to change. You have every, all your text trained in a certain way and then it'd have to be for a place to switch completely. It would have to be a very um, noticeable difference, but that's where the good thing about it is. It's like, it's not necessarily insanely better than what I'm doing right now, but it's keeping up. So that was the thing for me where I saw that I didn't expect that. Cause like I said, you open that first thing I walked around my lab and I was like, look at this weird, tiny little thing. And I'm like, this is the sequencer. And I was like, I don't think this is going to work. And then you uh, run everything and you're like, no, oh, no, that worked. <laughs> so that's all. I mean, I think it's just a matter of time and it's just labs get set in their ways. That's what they jo said about me when I joined my lab too. Look at this tiny little thing. I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> I also proved them wrong. Let it be noted. I've never been called tiny, so... <laughs> John, a lot of the conversation that we hear about uh, nanopore sequencing is potential use for deceased donor typing. Based on your experience uh, uh, working with the assay at the bench, do you think it'd be feasible to incorporate this method into a deceased donor workflow? Um, as far as that goes, I think it's right in a weird sweet spot where it's definitely feasible. Like without question, it could be used for that. But then there's a point where it's like, do you need the high resolution sequencing for 
solid organs at this time. If people want it, it would work. And then it extends things even once you add into the uh, protocol extraction. Like right now, if you do real times for an on-call deceased donor, you're looking at a three-hour turnaround time about. And then, I mean, even with the flongal, like, you're looking at five to six hours on sequencing. Then you add, depending on your platform, a uh, half hour to hour long extraction. So it's not, it's within the realm of possibility. And then it just comes back to even going back to Kelly's last question. It's just getting labs on board with it. Like everything for me is it's like, it's a cool new technology. So sure. But that's not the way everything works. But it's definitely John, we, uh, John, we have to ask about uh, my absolute favorite word in all of HLA right now is flongal. Uh, you've mentioned it several times. We have to ask it. What is a flongal for the sake of our listeners? Well, it's the, I mean, they have, they, the whole company has a lot of fun words for all their things. So it's the, the flongal is the uh, single sample flow cell adapter for the MinION system. So it's just a, it's a supplementary kit um, that you plug into this, the sequencer. If you look up videos, it like plugs into there and it has a small flow cell that is just for one-off samples. So, but yeah, that's a fun word that always gets a reaction when you say it. I did not know this. This is the first time I've heard this word and now I'm going to try to use it in casual conversation at some point. I've, I've been told it's actually kind of a, a combination of words, right? It's a, it's a, flow cell dongle and so oh. they they called it a flongle and that actually i makes, get a kick out of it every time that makes the word make more sense than i've ever thought about it i've always seen it and just been like someone was having fun that day in marketing <laughs> that's probably the real answer john but they were back- certainly having fun either way yeah they backtracked like well, what did that mean the guy was like oh i gotta come up with a, re- a reason for that <laughs> So I have to ask, just in our in our last few minutes, so you had mentioned earlier that, you know, this might be good for for a, you know, a smaller lab, you know, just kind of starting out due to due to cost, right, which totally mm-hmm. makes sense. Do you think this would be a smart thing to start out with if you're a big lab just starting out? Like, is there a, a volume gap here that you'd be worried about for a larger lab instituting this if they were just starting in sequencing? Would this be the route you think they should go? They definitely could. Because, I mean, right now, even for us, like we do, and this is where I'm not sure what other labs do, but with our MySeq and everything, we do 24 samples per run. And that's still feasible on the nanopore on what we would use. So, it would be fine in a lab as long as that's okay. And then everything with that, even if you couldn't scale up where I would say, once again, this low cost entry is you could have multiple instruments. So whereas we do 24 on a MySeq, you could do 24 on five uh, minions if you wanted to. So I think it has its place. I think the big thing, and the, the one con I forgot to mention before is just, the same thing about trust in labs is just because some of the things we've heard is just they're changing up their chemistries a lot and it's an exciting new company. So it's not surprising, but from a clinical standpoint, it's you want things to be a little more settled. 
So it's just, I think it just, I would use it tomorrow if I could, but it's just a matter of getting everybody on board. And it's just, and it's understandable that a lab would be questioning of that. But I think it, like I said, it showed, it passed all the things I expected where I was like, I don't think this is going to work. And then after seeing it, I was like, okay. So I would say yes, but that's just my opinion too. Well, on that note, I think we have uh, uh, run out of time, unfortunately. Uh, John, thank you for uh, coming on board with us and and uh, telling us about your experience with nanopore sequencing um, and uh, helping us inform our listeners. So thanks very much, John. Cool. Glad to be here, and thanks for uh, having me. Thanks, John. See you. Registration is open for the Ashi 49th Annual Meeting in San Antonio, Texas on October 16th through 20th at the newly renovated Marriott River Center. Join Dr. Donna Farber, professor at Columbia University, for her keynote address, Human Tissue Immunity Across the Lifespan. Dr. Farber is an internationally renowned translational scientist who has focused her work on understanding immune responses toward pathogens and the maintenance of homeostasis with age. Discover the human immune cell compartmentalization over life and learn about tissue resident memory T-cells in health and disease and donor resident memory T-cell persistence and function. Early bird registration ends on September 15th. Visit 2023.ashi-hla.org for more information. Guys, what did you think about today's episode. I learned a new word. Um, it was fantastic. I'm going to have to really um, work on finding ways to use it in casual conversation. Yeah. I thought he did a great job given the, the pros and cons of it. And mostly for, for the listeners, the technology he's talking about is, is from a company called Oxford Nanopore uh, Technologies. There's other vendors such as specific biosciences that make long read based sequencers. But what, what John was talking about was mostly Oxford nanopore based technologies. Yeah. You know, and I really, really wanted to ask him, but we didn't get a chance, but Eric, I know you have played um, with these things. Uh Is the analysis very similar to, um, you know, your kind of standard sequencing analysis, like next generation sequencing analysis, or is it cumbersome? Does it take, customized software? Is there software available? How's that work? Yeah, we have played with it. And I think um, it somewhat depends on how, what your comfort level is with software, right? So that it spans the gamut of people who do their own sort of custom software analyses packages. That's the minority. But most of the commercial vendors that have these these assays and kits that John is talking about uh, supply software that make the analysis relatively streamlined. So it's different. I'm not trying to say it's the same as uh, standard Illumina, but um, it doesn't have to be difficult. That's sort of user mandated. Yeah, and I think John brought up uh, an interesting point about the uh, utility of high-resolution uh, HLA typing for deceased donor cases, and I certainly think that's the direction we're going towards. Uh, and uh, the higher-resolution results you can get for these uh, deceased donors are going to be uh, critical for um, uh, you know, avoiding 
avoiding high resolution antibodies or avoiding um, as, as we get more and more into epitope matching, uh, you know, the high resolution data is going to be critical. So I think this is a really exciting method for the field to, uh, to start looking at. Imagine if the national system could accommodate two field typing and could automatically apply that logic to the antibodies that are noted as unacceptable in the national system as well. Imagine how much that would uh, enhance the speed and accuracy of immunologic risk assessment. Hmm, food for thought. And guys, before we go, I just want to uh, remind everybody the ASHI board election is underway. So if you are a full member, uh, please vote. If you are not a full member, please become a full member and vote. Uh, so don't forget, guys, information regarding the ASHI election can be found on the ASHI website, ashi-hla.org backslash page backslash bylaws. And with that, we will wrap up our episode for today. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Coffee and Compatibility. We will see you next time.